I've decided that I should offer you a series of podcasts on a subject that we're all too familiar with, and that subject is depression. To start out, I need to tell you about my life with depression and my education and experience with it. I come from a background where depression is rampant in the family. Both of my parents suffered from it. My mother, in a day when electroconvulsive therapy was brutal, required it several times. She was much better when she came back with her depression, although she uh, had forgotten who I was. My father cried for the last 10 years of his life, but never went to the doctor about it. My siblings have both suffered from depression and required antidepressants most of their adult lives, as I have. Among my siblings and myself, we have eight children, and I will say well over half or more suffer from depression. Okay, so my own life with depression has been really uh, profound. And I can remember being lonely and sitting on my porch with a roll of caps. You remember caps and cap guns? And using a rock to pop each one of them in line and just do that. Being alone and very down. In high school and in college I was depressed. In college after a breakup with a girl. I got pretty messed up with a lot of alcohol. And... uh, My fraternity brothers thought I was committing suicide. I really wasn't, but I wound up in a psych ward. And they only kept me for 18 hours. And, of course, I was scared to death because I thought I'd mess up my scholarship and prevent myself from going to medical school, and wow. I did see a psychologist for about eight sections, and I can say she did not help me at all. And these were the days before antidepressants were used very often, And so I gutted it through. The interesting thing that came is when I was in my second year of medical school, the Navy had a program available called Ensign 1915 program. And what it did is it provided the opportunity for people to volunteer for a commission in the Navy, get it, and then during your senior year of medical school, they would pay you full pay as a in this case, ensign in the Navy or a second lieutenant if you're in the other branches. But I couldn't get into the Navy. I, when I went for my physical, was told I was 4F for psychiatric reasons. My parents were depressed. I had seen a counselor, and that, that did it. The only way I could get into the Navy and do this was to get a psychiatrist to affirm that I was okay. I went to my psychiatry professor at the medical school, told him what I had in mind and how important it was. The biggest thing is I didn't want to be identified. I didn't want to develop the mindset that I was somehow incapable or 4F because of psychiatric reasons. He wrote a good persuasive letter, and so I might be the only person who forced his way into the military during the Vietnam War. They wanted to keep me out. I went in. Proved out that though I had a wonderful experience in the military in many respects. In my adult life, uh, we all have our ups and downs and relationship matters. And I would say more than 50% of the time I felt depressed. And also I have tendencies to periods of extreme excitedness and activity. 
I don't get real crazy, but I get real intent on things. And then in 1989, when the SSRIs came out, I started Zoloft, and for the first time in my life, I felt like I was not depressed, and I was elated. Unfortunately, life circumstances came along also, and uh, caused me enough problems that my depression was different. I focused my treatment in psychiatry in the 90s on the treatment of depression. In the 70s, I'd been all for psychotherapy and no medicines. And in the 90s, it was, let's find the biological basis and treat it. I became an expert at the new and modern application of electroconvulsive therapy. I did a program on it called Beyond Stigma, which I presented at the World Conference of Psychiatry in Madrid in 1996. I then, after a couple of years, uh, took two years to work in psychopharmacology research, researching new antidepressants. And that was the most frustrating damn thing because these drug companies, they're always trying to find a me too. They start out with a molecule of a known antidepressant and they try to tweak some edges of it. And then we have to put it through this god awful long process and if it at least equals imipramine, the earliest antidepressant on the market, it could get uh, patented and sold to the public. I had people walk into that clinic to get on antidepressants, by, but they volunteered for a trial knowing that they wouldn't qualify. But if they could, they would get free treatment from us as a result of the fact that we, once we're invited in, if they're not in the trial, they have to eat and get treatment from us. Which led me to an ill-fated uh, event in my life when I no longer worked there and I was aware of how many people in the world could not afford to see a psychiatrist to even get a prescription. My God, psychiatrists are charging two and three hundred dollars at that time. That was 2003, 2004, and these people showed up and all they needed, some of them just a refill. So I wound up supplying that online and uh, events turned bad. And despite the fact that people wrote me letters thanking me, saying that saved their lives because one person who had received a prescription was no longer taking it, but had my name on it, uh, committed suicide several months later. I was uh, rung up pretty soundly and uh, found guilty of practicing medicine in California without a license. That was very depressing. Okay, so now that's my story. Why do I tell my story? Well, I think it qualifies me to be a person that knows a lot about depression. That being the case, I'm going to take you through, as a psychiatrist, what we look at when people say I'm depressed. I'm going to start from the least serious to the most serious. Back in the uh, 80s and 90s, there was a there was a uh, ad on television about Alka-Seltzer, and it said, "Good for the blahs." They didn't name a specific symptom, and yet everybody knows what the blahs are. That's a day or two where you're just not on your game, and the FDA shut them down from saying they could you could treat the blahs because it wasn't a diagnosis, and that is the blahs are just everyday things that happen to normal people in and out of life. And they just feel off for a day or two. The blues are a little more specific and a little worse. The blues are a reaction usually to a failed relationship. 
and there is a lot of sadness in it and melancholy. But as a rule, they, it gradually gets better with time, uh, especially if you get a new relationship. The uh, more scientific name for this was a situational adjustment reaction of adult life with depressed mood. Basically, you don't need an antidepressant. A third category was called dysthymia. And dysthymia is somebody who's kind of chronically down all the time. People are just, they're just, they came to life depressed and they remain depressed almost all the time. Harder condition to treat, sometimes responsive to medications, sometimes responsive to psychotherapy, but it's very chronic. Then we get to grief, which is the experience of great overwhelming sadness at the death of another. Some people go from grief, mourning, and into depression. And when you know that's a case, when you grieve, you're sad. When you mourn, you're sad. But when you go into the depression afterwards, you think you are a bad person and that that badness is somehow woven in with the sadness. That needs treatment with antidepressants and psychotherapy. Then there is a major depressive disorder. And that's the big one. It comes on some people. We just don't know why. I had a patient who was one of the nicest guys in the world. He had a good family. He came from a good family. His wife loved him. His kids were successful. He made positive money, respected in his community. And one day he just fell off the cliff and was so depressed he could barely take it. And uh, two trials of medication, and he did not get better. Psychotherapy didn't budge. I provided ECT for him, and oh my gosh, in six treatments, he was on top of the world again. We call this endogenous depression, and there's something probably in the brain that triggers it. Lest you have doubt, electroconvulsive therapy, properly administered now, is humane, and it really works. And then we get into the bipolar diseases, and the bipolar 2 is the one we need to focus on the most. It's where... A person never gets manic. They don't get that high, but they're like me. They have creative periods and more depressed periods than creative. This is helped by medication, psychotherapy. Probably does not need electroconvulsive therapy and sometimes mood stabilizing medication. Manic depressive disease, or type one, almost anybody can diagnose it when somebody's manic. And it responds very well to a variety of medications now. And the vast majority of people do pretty well, and ECT has been found to work, and also the way that people put people on what's called maintenance ECT, where they get a treatment once a month. I had a person that I gave a course of ECT to. I didn't give it to him. I made him pay, but he was an accountant, and he was able to do his accounting through the months of March and April while getting ECT two to three times a week, and it didn't interfere. So... I want you to feel better about it. Okay, so bottom line, I just wanted to give you a survey of depression. The depression that comes with Parkinson's, we don't know how it differs or is the same as what I just told you. And antidepressants work in some cases with Parkinson's depressions, and some do not. I do not know anything about electroconvulsive therapy in Parkinson's depression. I doubt it's been done much. So when you have Parkinson's depression and you've tried medication and therapy, get back to it. The biggest thing is exercise. 
exercise, exercise, exercise. We know it has antidepressant properties. I hope this survey is helpful to you, kind of organizes your thinking around depression. On my next podcast, I'm going to talk about mindset, shifting mindsets, and how that might relate to the treatment of depression, especially in Parkinson's disease. Stay tuned. song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. to play to